Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Leanne Bach with M Realty. Keep your finger on the pulse of Portland's hot real estate market. Call Leanne for unparalleled customer service and the highest level of marketing available. Make sure your position in the marketplace doesn't leave money on the table by visiting leannebach.com or call Leanne direct at 503-349-7890. And by Chew Dining Club. Chew gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. Just download the app right now and check in at participating establishments. Get the rewards you want, like free pizzas, drinks, extended happy hour deals, and more. Plus exclusive information about fun food events and invites too. Chew. Part two of, we're calling this a special edition. I think I have called almost every edition of this podcast since I came on as your co-host Yeah, a special edition. They've all been special, it's, not only because you're here, right, th- but thank the you. guests have been just one after the other. All you, we're, we're going on six months now of your being co-host, yeah. by the way, and thank you. I, it's been fun. It has been. It's been, and it's hard to believe it's already been six months of special editions of the <laughs> Right at the Fork podcast. It is uh, Portland's Food Scene podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Court Johnson. That's Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. Uh, quickly here, follow us on Facebook. Just look up Right at the Fork. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Food Podcast PDX. That's the handle to look for. And then over on our personal pages, I'm the Court Johnson on both uh, Instagram and Twitter. And Chris. You mix the business with pleasure. Portland Food ADV is what they look for on Twitter and Instagram. Isn't that everybody's dream to mix business and pleasure, to have them be the same thing? I, I When I travel out of the country and they ask what you're here for, business or pleasure, I say both. Well, and that just quickly. My trips. <laughs> well, yeah. Business and pleasure at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. Look those up at PortlandFoodAdventures.com. So, Absolutely. But we're not here to do that. No. We're here, to, we're here actually today to talk. We're here to, today to talk a little bit of a, a pizza. There, Yeah. So I I, I, I I enjoyed this interview to hear you and Brian go back and forth on the the pronunciation of the true Italian pronunciation of pizza. Right, a pizza. A, a well, that's actually the New Haven pronunciation. Right. And you know, when you go, I think I mentioned it in the podcast, but when you know, you, when you go to New Haven and you order a pizza, mm-hmm. the server will look at you and say, "And you want moots with that?" Right. So that's I've heard good. that enough on television or TV shows to know what they're talking about. Yeah. And yeah. and the cool thing is that when I talked to Brian and I had not really officially met Brian before we had a conversation leading up to this podcast, uh, he's not the one who who coined his pizza as New Haven style pizza. Mm. It just happened. Right. So he's never purported to be New Haven style pizza. He respects it and loves it. Yeah. But his crust is just a little different. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'll tell you what, it's every bit as good as the best pizza in New Haven. Sure. But I'll tell you this, it's every bit as good as the pizza in New Haven. You've been saying that since I met you, and I ask about pizza places or when other people bring up pizza places. A pizza Shoals is always at the top of the list. Yeah, I have a few. But uh, Pizza Shoals absolutely is endeared, so it's our honor to have uh, Brian here today. And you know, Brian didn't start out as a pizza maker or a pizza man. Mm-hmm. He started out in college working in, uh, in California and was in the front of the house, ended up falling in love with baking. Mm. And, and you know, baking is the foundation right. for a pizza, yep. making great crust. And that's when you talk to Brian about pizza, he's going to talk about the crust and the best way to judge pizza is a plain cheese pizza. Really? Yeah, because it's all about the crust. Oh. And so he's all about the crust. That, and, uh, that means and my eight-year-old is way on top of this thing because that's I, her number one pizza choice. I know. <laughs> they, and when you start out, you're just going on pizza cheese and then you move on to other things. Yeah. But uh, I think that is a good apples-to-apples comparison sure. of pizza to just order this that and that. See, I generally, as I say, judge it on sausage, but it's, it's really the pizza yeah. has to stand on its own. And Brian allows that to happen and does that very well and is very passionate about what he does. And you'll hear that here. And if you're paying attention, this is the part two of what we started last week with uh, Janice. And we want you to pay attention. Please. Please do. So Janice Janice Martin of Tanuki, Mm -hmm. uh, we did an overlap. Uh, We record two podcasts in one day. And 
Uh, Brian came in to join Janice last week, and today we get the second part of that. Yeah, so if you're joining us for Brian for the first time, go back and listen to Janice so this will all make sense. Right, and keep going back in the archive. Sure. Yeah, well, the game's changed. Um, You know, when I started a pizza 13 years ago, back then... You know, I was meeting people from all over the country who had moved here. They saw an opportunity. They had scrounged up what they could, you know, and it was enough for them to actually start their business. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't about fancy tables and quarter-million-dollar uh, build-outs. It was about being creative. And, th- and there was such a – I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot of, of – there was a lot of mediocre food in this town wasn't a lot of creative stuff going on at that time. So I think a lot of people like myself saw this great opportunity, a lot of holes that needed to be filled, niches that needed to be uh, filled. But along with things that had transpired, you know, 15, 12 years ago, and the attention that Portland started getting about food, then, of course, you get more people coming in, and now you have people with lots of money coming in, and then you have landlords that are like, oh, okay, let's start raising the rent. Mm-hmm. So can someone come here with $60,000 and start? Or no people with $60,000. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what it was. I started I started mine with $50,000. I uh, never took a loan. What'd you have, what'd I had $9,000 <clears> and a $17,000 Amex line of credit mm-hmm. at something like a 15% interest rate. Mm-hmm. So $9,000 was my startup, hence the hot plates. And I did all the work myself. Over on 21st. The- so mm-hmm. that's where Smokehouse 21 is mm-hmm. now. Yeah. People- $9,000 and a $17,000 line of credit, which they canceled four months after giving it to me. So I never got to use it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was $9,000. It, it was me. It was me t- uh, buying stuff at Target mm-hmm. and painting the walls mm-hmm. and uh, making a uh, a bar out of uh, discounted clearance bamboo flooring from Home Depot. So you both come from the Midwest. Yeah. Right? We got Michigan here. Yep. Ohio. Ohio. You got, I, I, what part of Ohio? Cleveland. Ah. Are you happy yeah. today? Are you a Cavaliers fan at all? I, I do, do not. I, I do not the sports <laughs> ball. <laughs> I, I, I was going to assume Zero that. fucks mm. to give. Life is not a team sport, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> do you still have a lot of friends from Cleveland who would care? Because this was a big day. This is recorded the day after the Cavaliers yeah. won the NBA championship. I have some friends that care, but I try to ignore them in their time of joy. And <laughs> let them, you don't want to participate? Just, just let them wank each other over that all by themselves. <laughs> So do you think there's um, do you think there's something from your Midwest backgrounds that helps you to be who you are more genuine than West Coast East Coast I don't know. Well, having lived, you know, the first third of my life was growing up in the Midwest, um, in Michigan. All my family is from Virginia, uh, Maryland, Delaware, and then Delmarva. <clears throat> Hmm? Delmarva. Delmarva. Del Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. Oh. That's what they call it. I've never heard that before. Yeah. There's a lot I haven't heard of, so I thought I could throw one in. <laughs> you learn something new every day. He just uh, made that up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, that fast on my feet. But then moving to the West Coast, um, I think one thing that I, I have noticed is just this, there's a certain upbringing in the Midwest and the East Coast of about like just ethic, work ethic, and, and a lot of other things. Um, things, of course, on the West Coast seems things seem to be a little bit, you know, more, you know, lenient and, you know, cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't yeah. make any sense. It's- so, well, that, that, that begs the question about the rap that millennials get now, that uh, they, they don't want to work. You know, they don't. The, the work ethic. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, I didn't. I really didn't want to slam a whole generation. But when I get a stack, that, but I'm glad that you've hopped in and you're the one experiencing it. Oh yeah, and, and when I get a stack of it of uh, resumes, I'll sort them as thus: anybody from the Midwest goes to the top, <laughs> and from the East Coast goes to the middle, anybody from the West Coast goes to the bottom. The truth. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm glad I asked that question then, because I was thinking I was in weird political water on that. No, I mean it, I do. 
trust me, I, I, I find great employees that were born and raised on the West Coast. So it's not, it, it's not, it's, I'm making a big, broad brushstroke. But when you get a good worker from, say, Wisconsin or Michigan or what have you, they just put their nose down and work. They don't want to, they don't want to get mixed up in, you know, all the politics and bullshit. You know, it's a simple equation. I pay you to do what I need you to do and you, you do it and I pay you, right? That's the equation. They put their nose down, they work hard, they take pride. A lot of kids on the West Coast, it's more like, oh man, all right, I'll do it. But I don't really want to do it, Yeah. but I'll do it. No matter how much you made it clear that that was part of the job before <laughs> right. you hired them. So what's going to happen going forward though? Is that generation- We're all doomed. <laughs> we are all doomed. My Finding... place is the place to come in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <Yes>. so... <laughs> There's a lot of good whiskey there, too. But, I mean, uh, you see it all around town. People are like, it, it, it seems impossible to find a dishwasher right now. It's happening all I over town. That, I see that everywhere. Everybody's looking for dishwashers or line cooks. That are More so off. prep cooks. You can find a line cook if, if they feel like it's going to do something for them. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I think going back to, you know, and, you know, people not wanting to work, I think that they think they want to work, it is, which is the problem. Because if you ask them, oh, I want to work, it's just how they define work is so differently than how you and I defined work at the same age. Exactly. And a lot of them come in with an agenda. You see yeah. these resumes. Oh, you spent three months here. You spent four months there. You spent five months there. Oh, I see. You're getting into this job wherever this may be that you used to work, you're getting what you want out of it. You learned how to do X, Y, or Z on to the next. Doesn't really help anybody except for themselves. So yeah. do you think that people with culinary school backgrounds, uh, I've heard mixed reviews on, on that. Um, is, does it help them? In my experience, no. Um, I, I can't say from personal experience because I learned in the trenches by doing it. Generally, the, the, what I've seen from kids that come out of culinary school is that they think they know it all. It's hard to retrain them or break them of their, their already established habits because, well, I, I paid a lot of money to learn this. And this is this is it, right? No, there's a million ways to skin a cat, you know, And but this is how I do it and why I do it. So it's, um, and of course, they all want to make a lot of money. They don't want to really start at the bottom because they just spent a lot of money to uh, learn all of these. And the bottom's changing, by the way, right? Uh, so Drastically. How's that going to affect you? Because we were- Margins we, go down. Margins go down. Your margins are already tough. Margins have, margins have gotten worse every year I've been in business. Hey, Chris, right now might be a great time for us to take a brief pause and talk about one of our favorite things, that being Chew Dining Club. You know, we're really um, happy that, that some businesses have- um, taking the trouble and the opportunity to support this podcast because in not only supporting this podcast, they're supporting all the folks yeah. we're showcasing mm-hmm. here. Uh, they're really, it's really a statement on support of the local Portland food scene. So we appreciate it. Chew Dining Club, uh, which is an app you can find on your iPhone or Android. your Android phone, right. which I have. You basically check into some restaurants uh, as part of the program, input your check number, get some credit, and you'll get some goodies as you go. But uh, also keep abreast of some of the cool things going on at some of Portland's coolest restaurants. The, way, the, the best way for me to visualize this is a lot of these uber big national chains have similar reward programs, but you know you have to go to those to experience that. This is a way that the Chew Dining Club connects all these Portland local restaurants into a similar concept where you're getting these rewards, and uh, it's just awesome. It's a number of great restaurants. Lardo's in there, mm-hmm. St. Jack. I uh, went to Oven and Shaker also. Yeah. Been doing the pizza rounds lately. Nice. And uh, and so it's a it's a really nicely done app, and we really appreciate the fact that they're supporting the podcast. So it's really simple. Just go download it and get going with it. Get it on iTunes or Google Play. Wherever you get your apps, you'll get the Chew Dining Club app and download it for free today. So you didn't take offense to this when I asked. It was really a constructive question, and it helps me to understand, and I think it helps others to understand. But my my gripe about pizza has been not how wonderful it is and how delicious it is here. It's the cost. So, And there are a couple of things that go into that. There are a couple of factors. One is, the if even today, if I go and 
look at modern pizza's menu, modern a pizza uh-huh. menu in New Haven, a large pizza there is between seventeen and twenty dollars. Right. And and it's awesome. There are people waiting down the block for that, and there are about four or five places that have that. Um, and then even before that, when I was when we had a little young family and there were four of us, then this goes back twenty five years, but pizza was a ten dollar deal for the family. Right, get it? That's when a large pizza was twelve dollars. Right. And, and so I moved out here, and um, now I'm doing spending fifty seventy dollars for three of us to go out for pizza. About 25 is the average large pizza in this town. Right. So yeah. if you don't agree, if three people, I, you know, if you got, th- I have two sons who can eat and I can eat, mm-hmm. then we end up with two pizzas, a beer or two, you're looking at 60 or $70. It's yeah. a different, it's a different deal. And you explained to me a little bit why that is. And I understand it. I, d- I don't begrudge it. It's just a different experience. Pizza out here, different cost experience. Well, there's a lot of variables. Um, for example, what what is the minimum wage in New Haven, Connecticut? Labor out here is obviously going to be more, and it goes up January. Uh, I mean, July first, minimum wage goes up across the board. So you have higher um, labor costs here. But w- as I was, we were discussing the other day. I bet you Modern probably owns that building. Yeah, well, I think so he's doing, I just saw a Happy Father's Day post to, to Billy this morning on his boat too. So uh-huh. I'm just guessing. I don't see a lot. I don't see a lot of so you're taking, you guys you're, here you're, with boats and mm-hmm. nice. You know, you take away you know the the rent. That that's some extra money there. With the biggest variable versus what I do, and I can't you know talk for everybody, is like for example, I'm sure Billy at Modern Pizza is getting ADM flour at the price of like $15 a bag, where I'm using Central Milk Organic and it cost me $40 a bag. And I'm using Grande cheese, which comes in about three fifty a pound. He could be using Polio because he's a long-standing customer. He could be getting it for a buck fifty a pound. And you just start stacking up all those costs and there's your, there's your difference. Because I started off making my pizzas for around $15, $16 a- average. Uh, 12 years ago, almost 13 years ago. Right, so apples to apples, that's where, that's only fair to say to you when I was going way back to when we were young. Yeah, so, and food costs have been going up, labor costs have been going up, my lease ends next year, that's going to go up, Um, everything's going up. Are you going to stay there? Oh, yeah. You're going to stay there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying as long as the landlord wants me, we actually have right. Um, but you don't know where the, how the rent's going to go. This is 2017 we're talking about. Yeah, no, I don't. But you know, well, I, I've got a fairly reasonable landlord. It's going up, that's for sure. I know that. Um, I've put probably a hundred thousand dollars of my own money into his building. I've put a lot of money to brand new HVAC heat pump systems. I just redid all this uh, load centers in that place that cost me fifteen thousand dollars you know a lot of a lot of uh, upgrades new flooring so i'm taking really and, good care and that's of that's the property. tenant's responsibility or is that an agreement going in it's he, he on the lease generally on leases for commercial property you're you're in if if say um anything that was structural um like there was some rot in a wall from previous years usage or maybe because we have tenants living above us, that would be his responsibility. The water heater, my responsibility. Um, the, the, the drains to the sewer, his responsibility. Um, but I find it, um, there, there are times where like the HVAC, which we replaced and I think that cost us a grand total because we had to replace two heat pump systems, each was five ton. So we're dropping like $40,000 into brand new HVAC. And you can't all of a sudden go and have a surcharge on your pizza. All of a sudden no. sausage yeah. is going to be no. X. And I had to pay tax on that too. You had to pay tax on that. Yeah. So yeah, have you federal ever, government's rad. So you're, um, Court and I have said that um, on this podcast, when we ask people where their favorite places are, you're... A pizza shoals comes up right at the top, and that's because it's delicious pizza. You, it, would you compromise it at all to do some of the things that you were citing could be done in New Haven? Different types of cheese, different types of flour to 
to offset some of these costs? If I did, they'd stop coming. You think they'd know? Off? You think people would know? I've got people that are there at least every week, if not sometimes. I have some regulars there twice a week, and to me, it's 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 not a it's not a sprint. This is a marathon, and I'd rather play. You know, there are some people out there, and you see their their pricing and their modeling and their restaurants, and you can tell it's like they're just going to see how much they can get out of the next three oh, or four yeah. years. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're going to sell this 14-ounce pint of beer for $8. Uh, you're not going to get too much. Um, I like to give value. I, I think, you know, customers perceive value. They're not stupid. And uh, I'd rather play the more of, like, let's work volume. You know, uh, I'd rather sell more at cheaper prices than less at ex- more expensive prices. Well, you don't have to worry about that because you're barely full all the time, so you know you've got the volume. But, you know, I'm only as good as the last pizza I made. So every day is a new challenge. I don't think we've we've even gotten to the... I think we can still do better. What could you do better? What, today, if someone said, what? Well, how could you improve? Well, the, the most important thing in restaurants is consistency. And that's 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 the hardest variable when you have so many different cooks coming and going and everybody has a bad day and the in the ingredients change and we're dealing with bread so when the the environment changes it's it's the floor is always shifting and it's being able to to move with it and then to be able to deliver something that's consistent within a certain percentage variable that the customer it's like me we didn't make our mark tonight we didn't because we had you know x y and z going on but if the customer is like, you know, it's not as good as it normally as it normally can be or I've had before, but it's still really good. And I, I'm a little more sensitive to it than probably a lot of people because it's my baby and, you know, I, I see it every day. So I know what we're capable of and I still think we can go beyond what we've ever done. So you've made a lot of pizzas. You, you've worked a lot on crust, right? You started as a baker, really, was your first love of food, yep. correct? Yeah. So the crust is king to it's you. It's the foundation. Of, I mean, foundation. So pizza's bread. Right. And pizza's bread with toppings on it. So you can take all. You can go out and buy all these fancy ingredients and put it on cardboard. It's not going to be good. And so it's all about the crust to you. Absolutely. I, because. And then the balance thereof. You know, of course you're going to want to, you know, the, the ingredients are the easy part. You can get such good high-quality tomatoes these days and good-quality cheese. And then you just kind of run your balance of the quantities thereof to give you the balance. But the, 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 the day-in, day-out challenge for me, because we do, what we do is a lot different from what other people do. Is, what do you do different? Oh, you're about to say. Well, <clears throat> So we don't, like a lot, of, a lot of pizzerias, they'll mix up a bunch of dough and then they'll scale it and shape it and put them in dough boxes and then put them in the walk-in. And then they'll be better like two days later and usable up to like, you know, four days later. What we do is we do complete room temp uh, fermentation. So we'll start, the dough for today was started yesterday at 9.30 at night. And then we mix, do the final mix in the morning at 10 o'clock and then we scale it out at about 3 o'clock. And then if we did everything right, it's going to be ready to go at 5 and usable up till 10. Well, and I think so, the, the cool thing about your missing the mark thing when you talk about that is it's uh, it's kind of one of the things that, you know, as, as business owners and chefs and hospitality people, we may um, pound ourselves about. But your your goal, your aim is high enough that when you miss the mark, your stuff is still better than anyone else's. And I think that's one of the one of the reasons why it's okay to make yourself suffer a little as, uh, as a professional is because if you do have that really high standard that you set, you're going to fail. It's going to happen. Bad days, whatever, outside circumstances, externalities. But if you really kind of bruise yourself and grind yourself on that wheel to be at a certain point when bad things go wrong what keeps you awake at night upset with yourself is still better than what other people are putting out just one thing will you ever serve a white clam without the shells already on it 
Because here's my thing. I know what you're thinking. By thing the is. time you take the. By the I time know what you, your thing is. They come on the show. <laughs> well, I have two things. They, they're all over New Haven. And he famous sees you, and Chris. They, and, no, and no one serves shells, and they're very famous in New Haven, and they serve them on the menu. And secondly, by the time you get the shells, shells out off the pizza, it's starting to get cold. And you know that the best thing about a pizza is fresh out of the oven, and it's really of hot. Of course. Of so course. and and I feel like anyway that's my thing. Well, and, you, I, and I'm I've harped about it so much on this podcast that it, to have you here and not ask you about it would be I'd be doing myself a disservice anyway. I've tried to I've tried it that uh, making it that way before, and I've had it that way. Um, I prefer it with in the shell because there's something about retaining all that liquor and not overcooking the clams. The clams, mm-hmm. the clams are still soft. They're not chewy. All the clam pies that I've had with them pre-shucked have been chewy. You know, that's true. They can and be. They're not always. Not not always, but leave, you know, there's going to be some chewy no matter what. And in, they're different types of clams, too. So You're, you're using cherry with, stone. Right. You're, right? You're, 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 you have manilas. That's all, yeah, it's all we really get here. And, yeah. So that's and also, different. they're $4 a pound with the shell here. Not, I don't know what you can get cherry stones for in New Haven. And you have, also have people that will shuck them all day long. Mm-hmm. Here, I mean, four dollars a pound. We put almost two pounds on our clam pie. We charge twenty-five dollars for it. We put our house-made bacon on that. The clams alone is like thirty-two percent food cost. But I haven't even gotten into the cheese, or the bacon, or the dough, or the labor, all everything else associated. So that's a loss leader for you. If someone comes in, you're losing yeah. more. You're not making as much. And we have those. And I think every restaurant should have loss leaders. You don't have to make the same margins on mm. everything in the restaurant. That that's asinine. Something you, know, you get, do because you like, because it's what because it's what you're about. You know. Yeah. Well, you, everybody knows you're gonna make money on salads. Salads are like the big money maker. One of our biggest sellers is the Caesar salad, which is absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you. Hats off to your Caesar. And that I know I'm gonna make money on, right? But that makes up for like our meat plates, where the food cost is like sixty percent. So it offsets other things. You don't have to, like, you know, make the same profit margin on everything. Again, customers are smart. They, they can perceive value. Um, and I've, I find generally the people who complain about my pricing are generally people that, you know, they, they'd rather – it's not about the quantity, quality for them. It's more about the quantity. And they'd rather go get their – shit, what does it cost to get a, a – a pizza that you have to fucking bake at your house these days, ten bucks, and that's a garbage. Look at me, I don't eat that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like they advertise it on TV. That stuff's garbage. You want oh, to talk about man. like just processed, mass processed stuff? Um, but if you got, and this is, I guess, going to make me sound like a terrible parent. But if you got two hard to please, not easy to please, whatever kids, and you just want to feed your family, that's one, that's a different You deal. haven't taught them how to compromise yet. Yeah, well, I taught them how to compromise We're talking about your parenting skills at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, See, I, I, I get it. I was just going to yeah. offer to teach him how to uh, eat the clam pie without it getting cold, because there's a technique, and I will teach you after this. But now you're going to teach him how to be a parent. I'm, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They're in their 20s. Hey. I already fucked oh, it up. Oh, shit. Don't they need a fucking whole pizza for themselves anyway? Uh, yeah, yeah, a certain age. I'm talking about. Um, but, I'll you give know, some the, marital the average, advice later. The average family comes into our place. They have, like, two adults, two kids. You know, either they'll get two That's large. two pies. Yeah, right? but then they'll half and half it. So there's four different options going on there. Right. One may just want pepperoni. One may just want cheese. Mom wants the truffle and dad wants the the bacon pizza. The bacon Everybody's pizza. happy. The bacon and, pizza and we're talking great. like you're, you're $50. You know, for, you know, $12 average per head. Yeah. For 2016, that's... And a lot of other pizzerias that are, you know, have come behind uh, after us. You'd have to if you look at uh, if you look at how big their pizzas are and what they're giving you. Right, they're a lot more expensive than yeah. I am. So I just needed to be slapped a long time ago and just shut oh, me no, up. No. So you and I should have met a long time ago. I think you wanted ago. to be slapped a long time. No, ago. no, no, that's not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I think that's extra. <laughs> extra, yeah. extra, extra toppings. <laughs> so what? What in your childhood? So you grew up in in Michigan and uh-huh. went out to school in California. Yeah, I left. My parents got divorced in the early '80s. So third of my life in Michigan, third of my life in California. They got divorced. I actually, spent um, about a year and a half in Miami with my father when they got divorced. My mom 
left for Sunnyvale, started working for Lockheed, and Dad started uh, working. He's an engineer, so he was working for a, a company down in Miami. Lived for about a year and a half in Miami, and then I didn't really like Miami too much. That was when the cocaine wars were going down in the early 80s. So and how, it was you scary, were, you, you know, as a, as a there, right? 13 were, year old boy, is, you yeah. know, all that shit going down was was kind of freaky. Um, so that was Miami Vice days, right? Before, before Miami Vice came about. Oh, because, that was an answer. Yes, that was because of that. Yeah, um, but yeah, you turn on the news every day, and it'd be like, oh, you know, 16 people were just gunned down in this this club. That was like a daily occurrence. Yeah, there were, I saw a documentary about that recently. The Cocaine Cowboys. Yes, that's what. So you know that the thing that sparked that all off of that mall, the the first shooting at the liquor yes, store in the mall, yes. at the Dade County Mall. Mm-hmm. That was half a mile from the house that I lived in. Wow. So that's where. Yeah. And so at 13, are you a little freaked out? A little out freaked out. I'd rather go live with mom in Sunnyvale. And um, so stayed, uh, finished up uh, high school in uh, Cupertino, went to Homestead High, and uh, bailed first day after graduation. I was gone. And uh, I got into UC Santa Cruz and uh, lived. got stuck in Santa Cruz for about almost seven years. That's not a bad place to be stuck in. No, it was fun. But it was a lot better before the earthquake. What happened with that? I mean, what? Why was it? Why was it better before? Just it was this great old town, um, a lot of history to it. Uh, the the what they what they call the mall was like you know Pacific Avenue. It was these old buildings, and you know you know yeah, there's a lot of right wing old money in Santa Cruz, but, and it's not all hippies there. But it was just it was just a it was a it was a cool town. And you, you seem like, like you get to, you got to know like a lot of people, um, and then I was baking the day that the earthquake happened, which I, that's the last day that I baked at that job because the whole building crumbled. Um, and then for the next couple of years, the, the community got together, businesses were erecting tents, and people were supporting those businesses and keeping them alive. And there was a lot of good things that came like the first couple of years, just as the community coming together. But then as they started building the town back up, after finally all the FEMA money and the insurance and all this other stuff, then it just then it just changed. And uh, that's when you also had like the, the dot-com explosion. Mm-hmm. So dot-com people wanted to start buying up Santa Cruz and then commuting over the hill. It was just, it was just it, the, the character back in those days was just a lot different. You think it's starting to feel like that here now, that, that, that kind of change? Absolutely. You know, and change, you know, like the only constant is change. But the thing to me that's the scariest about how Portland's going is how fast it's going. I think they need to slow shit. But how do you do that? I mean, it's kind of... city's in control of issuing all these permits and allowing people to tear down these buildings and put up like 150 people in this space with no parking. Well, yeah, but you can't stop people from coming in and... What's attractive attractive about Portland? I mean, you came here for the much the same reason a lot of people did. It was attractive. It was less expensive, correct? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you it was kind of nice piece of property. I don't think it's really that way anymore. Yeah, I think, well, it, that's not I think like, everything's pretty overinflated. Right. I don't think a lot of people are coming here because it's less expensive now. Maybe from San Francisco, but that's not. The I think same you got a mixed bag of everybody's got everybody's got their own reason, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, um, I think it would behoove the city to move a little slower in just issuing these building permits. Think of, you know, the one thing I've noticed in all the years of living in, in Oregon is, is all the decisions seem to be about, like, tomorrow. Not No one's thinking about, what about 10, 15 years from now? It's all about, like, just solving the solution to tomorrow. Uh, and I think if they just slowed down... The, maybe we'd have, you know, because the infrastructure of those towns certainly can't handle all this expansion. expansion. Mm-hmm. But it's, the roads it's, are, are it's not com- designed for that. There's com- only so much they can tax the restaurants to death oh, like geez. they keep doing. <laughs> How much do you give TriMet? Oh, Jesus. Seven <laughs> K for me. Fees? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't discover, uh, I didn't discover the TriMet self-employment tax until six years after I lived here. Uh-huh. And it was brought to my attention by TriMet. And I was like, you can't charge me a penalty on the stuff when you never made me aware of it in year one. So I got and I had to pay a penalty. So right. oh, yeah. it happens to they, get you. they didn't they didn't give me any relief on that whatsoever. So um, when you you first came here, you didn't come to Portland. You came out. You moved out to Washington County. 
Yeah, I bought a. Um, my wife and I bought a five-acre Christmas tree farm out in Shoals. And Shoals is basically halfway between Hillsboro and Newburgh. And so, what was your vision out there? I thought, what were, what were you going to do? I wanted to do barbecue. Uh, my wife wouldn't have anything to do with it, though. Why? Oh, because I wanted to do it. You know, I wanted to go get a, a really nice pit. I was looking at pits and like you know, close pits and in Texas, and I wanted to do this like you know, full on legit. Like, and uh, she just probably pictured me sitting around drinking beer all day long, waiting for the meat to come off, you know. She didn't <laughs> want to deal with the grease. I think she probably didn't want to deal with the fact of dealing with lots of grease. And it Sounds like going to the strip club. She had the same concerns. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just imagine if we'd met early. <laughs> all of Kim's concerns she, then. She just, she <laughs> put her... All the grease right. and the beer <laughs> drinking. <laughs> I mean, she loved barbecue, but, you know, she, she just said, no, that's, that's not it. Um, and there are a few things that had happened in the years prior where little, little seeds have been dropped about me, you know, getting back into baking because it had been a while since I had baked. And, um, did you think you were a really good baker? I thought it was good enough to start a bakery, but I knew I could do better. Um, I'm, 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 my wife will tell you, like when I, when I get a bug on my ass, it, no, there's no stopping me. I'll, I'll, I'll get it done and I'll figure it out. So, when she, we went around town, and of course there was Pearl, and Ken had just opened up Artisan Baker's, uh, was it 23rd or whatever, 21st? Ken's Artisan? Yeah. Oh, 21st. He had 21st. just opened up. Yeah. But no one was doing the wood-fired um, oven, and so I dropped, I'm like, you know what, I think this is a good idea. So I dropped everything. I went off to, to the Bay Area, lived with Alan Scott, who wrote a lot of books on how to um, build wood-fired ovens. He actually built a lot of these earlier wood-fired ovens. I got an apprenticeship working with a guy who had an Allen Scott oven, worked for free for a month, um, and then came back a month later, and I had been working on, when I wasn't at the bakery, I was working on designing my bakery, so when I, I came back, I started immediately, and I had that bakery built in one year built the oven, built the bakery, did all the electrical plumbing, everything. So by the time we were ready and we had just gotten accepted to the Portland Farmer's Market, which was great because it was seemingly like really hard uh, after we'd gotten in to get into the Portland Farmer's Market. There was like a big long waiting list, but you know, sometimes timing and luck is all all part of and it. And if you have the right product, well, they have a lot of bakeries there now. They didn't they're... have a lot of bakeries at that time. It was, right. I think it was Pearl and of course Ken had just started but um, also we were doing the wood fired you know I would start a fire I didn't have a mixer I mixed all my bread by hand I was doing it like really old you know of course I didn't have money to do anything fancy so I figured it out um, and uh, that went it went well you know we actually I got into all the zoo pans it was a people's food co-op uh, uh, what's the other one? Food front, um, and of course the farmers markets. And we developed a city market, pasta works. Developed a lot of uh, good following uh, throughout the community, and as well as a lot of restaurant tours. So we started getting attention from a lot of chefs around town. We're like, yeah, yeah, maybe you can sell me some bread. And uh, so yeah, that went. That's how that the bakery came about. And it's also how the pizza came about because I never, I've never worked in a pizzeria and I never made a pizza in my entire that's life. I was going to ask you, did you have anything in your background that, that would lead you to believe that that's where you're going to end up? No. So once we get the bakery up and running, you know, after we're a while, Kim and I are like, oh, we started asking all of our uh, people we were meeting at the farmers market, where do you get the good pizza around town? And we were sent everywhere. Where were you sent then? Who oh, was doing it? Vincente's. I can't remember. I think they were, we, someone sent us a flying pie. Someone sent us to Vincente's, you know, all the old Portland standards. Um, and it was nothing like that I was looking for. I was looking for the classic Neo Neapolitan style where it's baked super hot. It, you know, super fast, very simple. I judge pizza by trying the, the plain, the plain pie or what people call the cheese pie. But everything here was more of like a, the dough was too thick. It was baked too 
low a temperature, too long. It was bready. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, wasn't what I was thinking of. And having gone to places like Patsy's and Totano's, uh, you know, the classic coal-fired oven places mm-hmm. of uh, the Northeast. So I just like, well, I've got this brick oven, <laughs> wood-fired brick oven, and I make bread. So I'll just start making pizza. And every Sunday became pizza day. So we had to be at the bakery anyway because we were doing all sourdough. So I had to be there to feed my starters and start making the dough for Monday on Sunday nights. So I never really had a day off, but it was late on Sunday. So we made it uh, made a pizza day and we invite all the, the, the people who we met, the farmer's markets, regulars, chefs. It just became a standing invitation. Bring a six pack, we'll be out making pizza. Well, eventually after about three years of that, so many people were we went from making like 10 pizzas to making 60 pizzas on our day off and of course i had to start charging money for it because oh yeah i don't i can't afford <laughs> to give 60 pizzas away for free <laughs> i wasn't making a lot of money on and making, when you and were, making bread when you were making 10 it wasn't a business plan hey let me get this out there this was you were just doing it oh no, i wasn't as an thinking, enjoyable if you would endeavor. ask me if you would ask if you told me you know, when I first moved here and I'd start the bakery, you know what? You're going to have a really famous pizzeria one day. I would have laughed my ass off. I had no, it really was not where my head was at. But as I said before, like I get a bug up my ass about something. I, I go in 100%. So was it, was it when you went from 10 to 60 pizzas when you said, Hey, this may be something I a light do? bulb went yeah. off because not only, you know, was I feeling like we were getting really close to that style of pizza, like the Patsy's, things that I remember. And, of course, it was different, but it was closer to what I had set as my gold standard and what I was, like, aiming for in my head. So as we got closer and more and more people wanted it, and we kept saying, this might be the best pizza I've ever had. And then I sat back and I was like, you know what? If I had the ability to sell a few beers, because I used to be a bartender in San Francisco, I know, you know, that's where a lot of restaurateurs make up some of their uh, money to help pay for labor and all this everything else. So if I, well, if I got that going and I sold some salads and I could sell these pizzas, not only would I, I wouldn't be so bored because uh, in, in the bakery, I was by myself from 8 o'clock in the morning to like midnight. Mm. And my wife would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go deliver everything. And she'd come so home and go to me. sleep. So we'd, we would be like ships passing in the night. And I really didn't see anybody. No one was, I didn't have any employees. God, you and I really are soulmates, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> just, just sitting alone, just thinking sit- filthy thoughts hey, and playing with listen- puppets, making food. I was out there listening to speed metal, <laughs> drinking beer. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was like, wow, I, I could actually, you know, because it was boring. It was, I love making bread, but it was just, it was, after a while, it was just like, I, I, don't have, I don't have any relationship. I'm looking at this wall, this oven talking to him sometimes um so and then this commercial property one of the three commercial properties that are in shoals came up so uh we went for it and this is about 12 13 years ago uh we our first day of business was january 1st 2004 okay and we didn't make it a year in shoals we got kicked out because around June, word had gotten out, and the throngs just came. And we didn't have a lot of parking, and it's in the country. People were parking up and up and down on the highway, and there was accidents. That had to feel pretty good, though, to watch that not accidents. Stra- you know what? It was I actually really before you mentioned <laughs> that. It was, it was it was it was really stressful because when we first started, there were nights I remember just going, "What the fuck was I thinking?" We sold three pizzas in five hours. What, you know, and then, you know, we got used to making, you know, like 20. And the next thing I know, I have to figure out how to make 80. And. And how many do you make in, what, how many you make a week now? A week? Or a day? A day, well, about a hundred, if we're at maximum capacity from opening to close, we can do about 120, 125. And that's just five hours of just, you're at... Slamming it. You're slammed. Okay. So um, you lost your lease out there, or you decided that wasn't working for you. I got kicked out. 
Yeah, you got okay. Washington County. I got a letter in the mail in August saying if you don't take care of this parking issue, you could be uh, liable up to a, th- a fines of a thousand dollars a day. So we hired lawyers and we yeah, tried. You can't make enough pizzas to fix that. No. So we hired lawyers to see what could be done, figure it out, fix it. After a very short period of time and a lot of money, because lawyers are not cheap, they were just like, get out. So we looked on Craigslist, and sure enough, there was this place on Hawthorne Boulevard that was available and uh, had been available for about a month. It was Surabaya, and it was a turnkey. It had... All we had to do is bring our ovens down there, and it came with the chairs, the tables, and a bunch more equipment than I could ever have used. A lot of that equipment's in other restaurants around town. Uh, but um, it was turnkey, so and we were bleeding money, because again, we hadn't been open a year, um, and we spent a ton of money on, on lawyer fees. My wife had, and I hadn't even paid ourselves at this point. We were living off credit card. So um, it was really, it was just perfect timing and it was, it, was, it was also survival, so we... Were you nervous, were you scared when you're living off of credit cards and you're not paying yourself? Horrible. And, but could you envision what you have now? I mean, was that in I, your sights? No, no, it, at that point it's just survival because right. I, don't, I don't ever like to say no and I don't like giving up and I have a wife and she's and we're all in this 100% and I love her to death and I want to I want to make this work so you were really so worried about mode. the next month I'm worried about just yeah that then making and, it to tomorrow and then right. and then you know, one day at a time let's, 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 let's keep going so we get we, we made negotiated a deal shut down in Shoals uh, December I think it was 30th of 2004 and then we opened up in Portland on January 24th, 2005. Three weeks. We had to wait for PGE because they had to upgrade our um, our power service. Mm. So and most of that was, wait- a lot of that was waiting two weeks of painting and just putting lipstick on the fucking thing. And then about a week of just sitting around with my dick in my hand, bleeding more money, uh, waiting for PGE to put the new transformer up on up on the pole. So you had to have a lot of faith, and you were invested in the whole concept that we're going to make this work. Got to make it work. I, I mean, we were out of money. Like I remember our first night of opening, um, we got a piece of paper, eight by ten piece of paper, and wrote a pizza shoals on it. Or actually, no, my wife, my wife put it on the computer. It was an eight by ten piece of paper. That was a sign because I didn't have money to and- <laughs> get up on the awning or anything. It's no no sushi no kids. <laughs> so so and I think we sold sixty pizzas that night. People, people, people were waiting. People and how many of those people were your customers? They had to be customers from out there, right? Coming all the way here. Most of my customers out there were from Southeast Portland. Oh. That's where I met Tommy Habits. That's where I met Charlie Devereaux, who used to be up owner of uh, Double Mountain. That's where I met Rodney uh, Muirhead. Rodney Muirhead, pa- was, uh, Rod- Rodney Muirhead was my first employee in Portland. He worked for me. For Who else first- worked in your kitchen? Uh, Tommy worked for me for a, a, a nanosecond. I swooped in to just help him out after the, the downfall of Gotham Building Tavern, mm-hmm. and I knew he needed a job. Um, and his wife was—I can't remember if if Hugo was born yet at that time or was about to be born. And I know there's a lot of stress, so I, I swooped in, and he worked there for a little bit before going to like three. He worked there for about three months before going to Merryweather's. Mm-hmm. Um, no other big n- names worked in. So, Rod, did you ever do barbecue with Rodney? Did you guys hang out and barbecue together? Well, he he, he had a, had low barbecue, which was a, a cart, and he'd been doing that at the Portland Farmers Market. And he actually had a location down at like Twelfth and Hawthorne that wasn't working out. There was no foot traffic, so that's one of the reasons why he wanted a job. And then. He approached me because we have this patio, and he's like, can I put my pit back there and rent, like, do, because we were only open five days a week, can I put the pit out there and do barbecue on Monday nights? Sure. So he uh, started doing that, did that for about eight or nine months, and he was full every night. He was, he was selling, he was selling out of all the stuff that he produced. What's remarkable to me is this was 10 years ago, and how much has transpired for 
All you and you, Janice, you got here ten years ago too, mm-hmm. or about. Yeah, how I much opened. Has, uh, I opened within a year of moving here. Right. So, how much have you guys have all accomplished in ten years, and now you're established businesses in Portland in ten years, and uh, that's not a long period of time. It really isn't. Uh, no, it's, it's when I look back on it. Sometimes it seems like a really long period of time. Sometimes it seems like a fucking blur. It goes um, so fast. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's a long time. Your body sure as hell knows. It's yeah, a long time. yeah. But it's it's. <laughs> I mean, my weeks. I feel like I wake up on Monday morning, and by by the time I really know what's going on, it's already the next Monday morning. It's just, it's an Well, that's world. a function of getting older. Wait right till you get to my, <laughs> <laughs> that That it get, goes even faster, you know, and, and yeah. these milestones come about, like yeah. birthdays and Father's Days, and that was that was a year ago. It's right. crazy. So you moved the pizza, and I like to, what you told me that really struck me was, first of all, you never said to anybody, this is New Haven-style pizza. Never. It was uh, it was other people who coined it. People know, put a lot of words in my mouth. I think didn't. it was more. This is as good. And people were saying, must have been saying this was as as fantastic as uh, New Haven style pizza. But I also love the name that how you how came it came up. about. Yes. So we out out in Shoals, we were called the Shoals Public House, and we were debating: do we get rid of the Shoals? We can't call ourselves Shoals Public House in Portland. That makes no fucking well, sense. Plus, it's a pizza place. But we'd already been established a name for ourselves with that name. So how do you how do you move forty five minutes away and reestablish yourself, but also let people know that's still me. I'm it's still me. And um, a lot of people agreed. Like you have to keep Shoals in there somehow. Somehow. And it it was just a play on words. When I was in Santa Cruz, there was a place called a Pizza My Heart play on words and I've always loved the bastardization in Italian a beats from New Haven I thought that was really cool so to me it, it was just a play on words we're a piece of shoals in Portland and that's probably also how the New Haven thing came about because yeah because everybody assumed since we just spelled it the way they the do. traditional way which is no separation between the a and pizza that everybody thought assumed that we were New Haven style. We're I don't claim to be New Haven style. That is definitely one of the styles of pizza that I I uh, strive to be of that quality and style. Hot, fast. You know, it's it's minimal. But uh, no, I don't. I've never claimed to be New York style or New Haven style. I've never claimed to be any style other than my own style. It is what well, it is. Well, you're defining Portland style. So when you when you see the best lists in the country and you're there, it's you know that's you're representing right. Portland. And uh, and everybody's got opinion on pizza. You and, don't have to like what I fucking do. And, I mean, I really don't get offended <laughs> when people go like, "Yeah, I don't, I'm like, it's cool, man." How many people like, really? I don't. I don't. How many people you know, don't like you, your pizza? What are the complaints? It's burnt. <laughs> Not enough cheese. I mean, everybody. Everybody look, has their gold standard. We're all. We, we're, we. Everybody has that guy. That one moment where you fall in love with something, and that is like your. That becomes your gold standard. But you're always like, oh man, I wish it was like where I used to get it. It's so and so. Doesn't make it bad. It's just like you. You want you. People are always trying to like. But I think there's. I think you can like different styles of pizza. I, I mean, do. I grew up. I do. Not far from New Haven and. You know, Fairfield County, and there was a place called Post Corner Pizza. Have you ever gone to Post Corner Pizza? I have not. And I'd love to do a trip with, with a few people back there and do that. But it was Greek style. This was just a diner, and they started serving pizza, and then they became huge. huge. And then they went down to Florida and opened up uh, a marble te- marble cathedral <laughs> pizza that, that didn't work. But I think you can. the point is, I love that pizza. I love pizza that I got. I even have liked some Chicago-style pizza oh, yeah. here and there. Well, so, Janice and I both have an affinity for uh, Pequod's. Yeah. I don't even know where it's that is. It's the only Chicago-style pizza I like. That's my favorite. Yeah. There. In Chicago? Oh, in Chicago. I've right. been, I've, yeah, I've gone to Lou Malnati's. I've gone to Gino's East. I've gone to Giordano's. A whole slew of them. But Pequod's is the best. Yeah. And it, they're also different. A lot of people in Chicago say, that's not traditional Chicago. It it's doesn't fucking need to be good. I don't care what it is. <laughs> it doesn't need to be traditional. It's <laughs> no, really good. it's really good. So how do you feel about uh, the last couple of years have become, you know, everybody's opening a pizza place. There's a lot of them. You know, as as a, 
as a consumer, I think it's kind of silly. <laughs> There's so many other things that need to be done in this town. Um, and why do you it, think they're opening pizzas? It, it can't, it can't I don't know. You know, and everybody's else. got their reason. You know, I'm just I'm just speaking as a consumer. I'm you know I would rather someone open up a classic sub shop in this town than another pizza shop. You know, you go in, they have fresh made. 18 to 24 inch French rolls or semolina rolls and guys behind the counter or girls behind the counter with a deli case of all the meats and like three slicers and a list of just 20 well, sandwiches. They can't, they can't do that here and I'll tell you why. My opinion, they're too slow. Everybody's too slow in this town. They, if you want a sandwich here, and back east, it's with the slicer. Yeah. Slam down, you got it in three minutes. Here it would take 15 minutes. Full circle to the work ethic thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've come back. Kids are slow these days. But no, I, I uh, but, you know, like, again, like it doesn't, there's, there's just things that I would like to be done in this town that are not getting done. And it just seems so. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting out like, I think whoever opened up in the last couple of years is silly. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just speaking from a, a consumer standpoint. There's other things I'd like to see in this town because I don't care about what other people are doing. Has if, it affected you at all? Or is it? I was thinking it would, but no, it hasn't. Our actually numbers keep going up. Um, and it's really not, that's, wasn't really concerned about that. I was just, again, I'm, I'm bringing it back to just being consumer because I'm a consumer. Just, I love eating out. I love food. Um, and you know, I spend mo most of my, most of my dining dollars happen out on 82nd Avenue. I was going to ask you where you to, uh, go. Well, I'm a father, so I don't get out as much as I, as I'd like to. Um, but, and I have, I like when I go out for like fancy or high, I don't want to say fancy, but when I go out for, you know, Going out with my wife with without the daughter. Uh, How I like, old's your daughter? Uh, she's ten. Okay, and she's good still years. she's, she's still picky. That's good, that's so that's why like I can't just go to any place with her. Um, but when you know I go out to you know the mid tier restaurants, higher end restaurants, I have a lot of relationships in this town that have lasted a long time. So I, I find myself going to places that I have relationships with the owners. So um, I. You know, like John Gorham, I've known for a long time. Love M MEC, um, Tor Bravo, Jason Owens, I've known for a really long time. Love going to Lowerhurst Market. Uh, I've gone to Janice's place many times. Um, where else? And, you know, there's, and there's so many restaurants. It's, and it's kind I, of an incestuous city. I mean, how much? What percentage of the industry supports the industry? Do you think? Uh, obviously, every you've you got different numbers of seats in your your respective yeah. restaurants but um yeah we were a lot i mean they're on a good night like especially on sunday and monday nights you can walk into the, the dining room of pizza shoals and you'll there's about six or seven chefs sitting dining um so back in the old day there used to be probably free pizza coming and then you'd go somewhere oh crazy stuff uh i remember like i met john going before he even started had a restaurant he he had just hooked up with jason owens jason owens was the floor manager at park kitchen he was doing his breakfast thing at a picks over on division and they did a dinner out at, at shoals public house and formed simpatica and then they bought beyond meats and then they started simpatica and everything so yeah there was lots of i've had the first dollar bill at a pizza shoals is signed by john gorham Rodney Muirhead and uh, Jason Owens. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool dollar bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's, a good it's, start. it's it's been it's been up there on the wine rack since day one. Hasn't moved. Um, and Greg and Gabby, I love Greg and Gabby Ox. They make great food, and they're amazing people. And there's so many people that I, I love in this town. But when on my day to day stuff, what do I eat normally? Like on day to day. Um, I go up and down 82nd, and I love Mexican food. I love Vietnamese food, uh, and I like discovering like little holes in the walls that you know that you walk in and you know that you get the sense that no one else you know has been there yet. I love that. There's, it's curiosity, and it's also exciting, and it's kind of like you know rolling the dice, and it might be good, it might be bad. Never know until you try it. So I've asked. Yenha has Buck Hunter. Oh yeah, really? That's awesome. 
So, Soon, Brian. I've, <laughs> I've asked this before because I follow a number of industry people on their feeds, and it's Asian. Asian is like 90% of what most chefs are going out to eat. Yeah. But what is that? Why? And I've asked that before, and I've gotten answers, but I just still find it interesting that that is and and there's kind of a little uh, there's not a lot of chinese in portland no to, to tap into a lot of most of the chinese in in, in portland is uh cantonese um but i think one of the reasons why uh, uh asian food whether it be vietnamese cambodian thai are is so popular with with cooks is because it's all these exciting flavors happening and it's not like butter grease weigh you down um it's uh when i when i go out i i feel like i'm full but i i feel i don't feel gross and just all the flavors are exciting you got mint you've got chilies and everything just coming together it's 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 delicious and it's satisfying it's simple and there are a lot of places that you're There's talking tons about of them. to discover. Oh right? my god! Like my newest, my favorite discovery is actually around the corner from Janus, and they make these little. It's a Vietnamese um, banh mi place. It's called Banh Mi Nam Lok, and they make these little tiny crepes that are made with pork and shrimp, uh, and kind of a turmeric style crepe instead of getting like the big crepe that a lot of people will see at Vietnamese, Vietnamese restaurants. These are the ones that are made in the, what do they call Abel Skiver. Yeah, the Abel they, they make them in that, and they give you a bunch of lettuce leaves and mint, and you got the hot sauces and everything, and you throw those in there and you know, do these little let, lettuce wraps. And you get enough food for two people for like 12 bucks there. Um, I love that place. You find me at probably Fa Oregon. All the, I, I'm there all the time also. Uh, Boom Bai Huey, all the way down near Johnson Creek on 82nd, 82nd. Love that place. I love uh, going to my brother's crawfish and in that same shopping mart. Um, I can never say the name, but there's an amazing hot pot place right there that uh, I don't go there as often because you need to have like eight people to get in there and do it right. So he said amazing. Is that the cue to end the oh, podcast? Oh, wait. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, just one more question because it's- are you – do you have a vision for a pizza shoals where there might be more than one of them at some point? Do you see that? No. That's you're gonna stick with no. what you have. I no. I, it, it's not why I started it. Uh, I don't think we've. Well, yeah, we've, but we you haven't didn't perfected start pizza in the first place. We haven't perfected what we're doing in the first. I mean, and it will never be perfect. But we have so much. We, we have so much further to go. Uh, I don't think we're even close to making as good of a pizza as we potentially can. And I like Mon Paz. I like. The idea of still like there's one place that you can go to get your your thing. It's not everywhere. Well, I think I think there's a little bit of dilution when you just you can find something everywhere. I, I like the, I like the one-offs. I like the mom pas. I like. Do you still you consider yourself a mom pa? Yeah. Totally. I've never gone. I've never had a bank loan. I've got 20 employees. I've had a lot. I've had a lot of pl- employees come and go. I know my employees well. We treat them well. We party together. Sometimes we vacation together. There are times I've taken my employees to Mexico. We didn't talk about that at all. I wanted to talk about your love of the Yucatan. Yucatan, yeah. So I'm about to leave. Uh, I'll be gone for almost two months. And what do you get? What do you describe what you what you're going to for two months? What's what am I going to do? Yeah, I'm going to cook a lot. I'm still a student of Yucatecan food. Um, I'm going to travel. We drove our car down there two years ago. So I have my car down there waiting for me. This year we're going to go through some pueblitos up to Campeche and spend a night there. And then we're going to go to, um, why the name escaped me right now? Palanque. Um, spent a couple nights in Palanque. Did you ever take Spanish? You're doing pretty well. Oh, you spent some time down there. So I've, <clears throat> I took Spanish in high school for one year and then... Of course, throughout working in restaurants and bars, you you you, p- you pick up mostly bad words. Yeah, I got when Kit, I worked what at, I call kitchen I Spanish the whiskey in L.A. and it was all Spanish. And man, the stuff I learned there was scary. But when I when I uh, since my first vacation after all these years, my wife and I hadn't had a vacation for like ten years, and finally found an opportunity, shut down the pizzeria, and I'm she's like, "Where should we go?" She was thinking Hawaii, and I'm like, "No." I love Mexican culture. I want to go to Mexico, but I want to go way down 
where the Caribbean is. So great warm water, swimming. I want to swim. So that was our first vacation in like 10 years. We went down there and we just fell in love with, that's technically the Quintana Roo, the state that uh, first place. Uh, we didn't, no, I've never, I'm not into big. No, but that's where, close, that, that's close. the state, Ca- isn't Cancun it? is the tip of the, the state of the Quintana Roo, which goes all the way down to Belize. Mm-hmm. But the majority of that horn that is is Yucatan. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my, we in Ocondo and Tulum were maybe half an hour away from crossing into the border of the state of the Yucatan. Mm-hmm. Um, but my Spanish obviously has gotten a lot better. I've been practicing and actually I'm studying Mayan right now. So I'm trying to be at least conversational uh, Mayan because there's a lot of pueblitos there you can go to where they don't speak any Spanish. Janice brought some and some, we not only have the Chick-fil-A's. <laughs> Janice, what did you bring? What are we, what are oh, we? Oh, we got buns. Buns, buns, buns. Yesterday's, uh, experimental market bun it's a uh, black garlic butter bun stuffed with uh braised greens and uh wild mushrooms and pickled thai herbs and then um a little less asiany we've got the um kind of like breakfast pastry uh, just some cooked down market berries with a uh, homemade goat cheese that i made that is awesome. Do you think we we should just start doing this podcast so we can eat well in here? <laughs> yeah. If we can't eat well in here, there's a sign that's no food and drink. <laughs> you can eat well out we, there. We can eat well out there. Or on the way to Sassy. And we're, well, we can eat well just by stopping into both Tanuki and a pizza shoals. A pizza shoals. Mm-hmm. A pizza. A pizza shoals. Yeah, but <laughs> it's actually with the S-H. It's tough. A beats. Yeah, a beats shoals, but it's tough to move right into that. Yeah. Yeah, but again, it was just a play on words for me. It wasn't, you know, not think, about trying to be New Haven style. No, and some but people, I, well, I some people a, never got it, and some people got it off the bat. They're like, "Oh, I get it." It's, it's a, I think you're a piece, you a piece me, of shoals, right? Once you told me what that was, it was brilliant. Before that, I thought it was okay. He's doing New Haven style pizza. It's very interesting, no. and you, it's as wonderful as New Haven. I'd love to go do some some pizza with you sometime. Awesome, if, yeah. If we if we can somehow manage that, it's Brian style pizza. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's 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 our own style, and, and I, I don't know, I'd hold to any. Like I was talking to like my good friend uh, Chris Bianco. He and I have uh, done a couple of uh, seminars together. I don't even call them seminars, but anyway, we were talking. He's like, you know what scares me is people have it who are confined to it, having to be a certain way or a certain thing. You get the the whole VPN certification. You can only use this Italian flour and you have to use this oven and blah, 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 blah. Why do you, why? Why does it have to be any one way? You know, don't, don't tell me I have to, I have to do it a certain way. I'd rather do it my way. And if you like it, great. If you don't like it, fucking cares. Um, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. And we'll visit you there. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Both fun. of you, Janice. Thank, thank you so you. much for coming. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for letting me join with Janice. That was rad. I think it's oh, great. I was, I was happy to have you here. <laughs> and we got to do this more often. It's it's kind of a, it's a cool concept having two of you in the same, mm-hmm. same time. So thanks very much. Thank you. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. Portland's original food and drink news and review blog brought to you by the legendary food dude now featuring the huge outdoor dining list you'll need to eat drink and enjoy the Portland summer sunshine and fresh air check it out today at portlandfoodanddrink.com right at the fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson intro music by Ariel Varinas find links to her music in the show notes section Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at Right at the Fork.com. I can't stay.